previously on The Folded Lie. There's a lot of um, recorded history in your family. Oh, yeah. My word, there is. You met John Wern, the great-nephew of Reg Wern, the man who killed Mervyn Flanagan. John is also the grandson of the politician who had a lot to lose, Reg's brother, Walter Wern. Look, I care about uh, anything that affects the family's reputation, and I shouldn't. Reg joined his brother Walter at the strike's peak in 1917. He was a strike breaker and, according to John, was issued with a gun by the government. It's hard to imagine that every one of thousands would have been armed. They think that Reg was issued with one. Really? For whatever reason. Really? Reg, the champion boxer, when confronted by two strikers, chose to shoot and kill one of them, Merv Flanagan. Hi, I'm Frances Morgan. This is The Folded Lie, a podcast about a century-old killing and how it affected two families, the Flanagans and the Werns. In this episode, you'll hear the Flanagan side of the story from the granddaughter of Merv Flanagan, Sandra Williams. Sandra cares about this story too. It has a deep meaning for her, in a totally different way. I said I didn't realise my grandfather was like what it is, you know how they call him the Labor Martyr and all that. But is the myth of Merv obscuring the truth? Is Merv Flanagan really a martyr? I first met Sandra seven years ago, although tracking her down was hard. Finding John Wern was an easy Google search. Finding Sandra would require luck and a series of coincidences. The first was a book given to me by a friend, A History of the Inner City Suburb of Glebe. Maybe you'll find something in there, my friend said. It was a long shot. Merv lived in nearby Camperdown, but I turned to the index and there it was. Flanagan. I say it now, and Eleanor, my girlfriend, she goes, I don't say that to people. I said, what? Because I say to people, they say, oh, where do you come from and that? And I go, oh, come, we come from Glebe, you know? It was only a sentence about Merv's sons being knockabout criminals in the 1930s. Turns out they moved to Glebe after Merv's death. And they go, oh, Glebe, I know Glebe and that. I said, oh, well, you know, we grew up in the underbelly years. I said, you know, like the underbelly with all the gangsters and the moles and that? I said, we grew up like in that sort of era. And we did. I called the author, wanting to know more. He said he only knew what he'd written, but I was welcome to come around anyway. The author, of course, lived in Glebe. Glebe is one of the most economically diverse suburbs in Sydney. It goes from mansions to public housing, and that hasn't changed in over a 100 years. The other thing about Glebe is, it's one of those places where everyone knows everyone. The morning I went to visit the author, he'd had a local plumber come fix a leaking tap. I don't know how the topic came up. Turns out, the plumber knew someone who knew someone who knew a Flanagan. I had to meet the plumber and then his friend and then his friend's 80-something-year-old mother. Each time, I felt like I was being sized up 
to see if I was someone who understood people like the Flanagans. Eventually, I managed to get hold of a phone number for Sandra Williams, the granddaughter of Murph Flanagan. Well, that's what I said. I've been saying for years and years and years. I said, I wished I could sit down and write a book. I said, well, that'd be a bestseller. The things I could write about glue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Sandra Williams moved from Glebe to the New South Wales Central Coast. It's heavily raining on the first day I meet her. I took my boots off at the door, slid across the white tiles of her living room, and she said, I mean, that's I said, there's not that much I can tell you. I stop. If my grandfather had been shot dead, there's no way I couldn't know about it. Yeah, so your parents never mentioned not anything? Not a thing, not a thing. Not a thing? No. This is all so far removed from John's white lever arch folders with the documents numbered and filed into plastic sleeves. I start telling Sandra the story of her grandfather's death. But hard life, it must have been a hard life. And how old was my grandfather? He was, I've got the death certificate, I did a copy of you for you, the death certificate. He was 32. You're joking. 32 with um, and your father was nine. So that's 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 not young. Yeah. 32. All but the chest inflicted by. Yeah, see what they wrote? It's by Reginald Jones. No, a guy called, his name happened to be Reginald James, but his surname was Wern. He was the brother of a well known politician, and they got him off. And they said, that it was in um, self well, acting in his own defence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I explained well, to Sandra what happened. What was he carrying a gun for? Exactly. How Reg Wern was driving a horse and cart. A young man called John McEnroe was next to him to help navigate the streets of Sydney. At the inquest, John McEnroe would say he saw two strikers standing by the side of the road, not a picket line or a mob, as was reported at the time. One striker was Harry Williams. The other was unidentified. The two strikers called out names to the strike breakers. John McEnroe didn't hear what they said. Reg pointed to his hip pocket as if to say, kiss my ass." Another strike breaker named Charlie Thorpe was traveling in a cart behind Reg and John. Harry Williams jumped up on Charlie's cart and knocked him off his seat. At the same time, the unidentified striker jumped on the back of Reg's cart. Reg says he looked for an iron bar he kept in the glove box, but couldn't find it. So he pulled out his government-issued a revolver instead. The striker jumped off the cart and invited Reg to come down and finish it. Reg looked behind him and saw Charlie and Harry head into a vacant allotment. He took his revolver and followed. When Reg arrived, Charlie had disappeared, but striker Harry Williams was there and approached Reg. Reg warned he had a gun. Harry continued to advance. Reg fired the first shot at the ground. Harry continued to advance again. Reg fired a second shot that lodged in Harry's calf. Merv Flanagan appeared and jumped on Reg's back. Reg flipped Merv over onto his back 
As Merv got up, Red shot him in the chest. At the inquest, Reg said, I fired point blank. So what you have is striker Harry Williams with a gunshot wound to his calf, Merv Flanagan, dead, and Merv's brother James Flanagan now appearing at the scene of the crime. Yes, and what was Williams. the bit you was telling me about, about one of them went to jail, got three months or something? After Merv's this? brother was sent to jail. Yeah, what was that for? Well, he, for uh, calling out names, for calling in a scab. Oh. Three months. Got three months. Um, the other bloke shot me grandfather and got nothing. Nothing. The unidentified striker who first jumped on Reg's cart could have been Merv. It also could have been James Flanagan. Reg said it was James that jumped up on his cart. James claimed he only arrived after the first shot was fired. The inquest never resolved this inaccuracy. They never even bothered to ask the one person who would have known, John McEnroe. James Flanagan and Harry Williams ended up in Long Bay Jail. Well, that happened with my father, too. My father, there was a... What I can remember, there was an incident down at Wentworth Park and um, oh, there was a few blokes were on the, up on the rail track or something and the police come or something and one of them threw a brick or something and hit the policeman in the head, yeah. whatever. Well, my father wasn't even there. Oh. My father wasn't even there. His brother was there. They looked the same. They looked the same. Oh. But my father took the rap and went to jail for three years. Oh, you're kidding. I wonder, did Merv and James look the same? Did Reg get them confused? Yeah. And what happened with the fellow that shot him? There was no trial or nothing? Nothing. He, the jury he, found what? that he acted in self-defence and Newtown Police Court dropped the charges and he went back to his farm in the country. Sandra is quiet for a moment. This isn't the first time the Flanagans have missed out on justice. It's like my brother, when my brother died, he was working on a fruit barrier in town and um, he, he, after he split up from his wife and that, he hit the drink and that, he was living with me. And uh, he didn't come home one night and my father come down and anyway, sort of rang hospitals and whatever anyway. My father ended up finding, he was locked up down in Regent Street Police Station. They said, oh, he's front and court at 10 o'clock. My father said, oh, all right, I'll... I'll come down and some clothes and whatever and that. Sandra's brother Darby had stolen a tin of salmon from David Jones' food hall. So my father got down there and he's sitting in the courtroom waiting for, waiting for him to bring Darby in and 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, Darby still hasn't fronted in the thing. So the next minute my father's asked why that he hasn't been before the court. And they said, oh, he's been put in the van and sent out to Long Bay Jail. To think some 80 years earlier, Merv's brother James made the same trip to the same jail. Anyway, the story was that um, when he got there, when they were signing him in at the desk or something, he asked to go to the toilet. And he went into the toilet and 
supposedly had a cerebral hemorrhage and died in the toilet. It was actually a heart attack. Natural causes, wrote the coroner on his death certificate. Later, Sandra's father spoke to a few men who'd seen Darby. But there was a couple of young fellas in the cell next to him at Regent Street and they reckoned that he'd been, he'd sort of been taken alcoholic fit in that in the, in the cell and they'd sing out of the coppers or something and the coppers just turned around and said, oh, you worry about yourself and we'll worry about him. Douglas Raymond Flanagan died in 1979 at Long Bay Jail. He was 39. We still say to this day, we reckon the coppers gave him, gave him a passion. Sandra's father gave evidence at the coroner's court. Nothing came of it. So my father, my father was so outraged. He wrote letters to Neville Reen and all the different politicians and he wanted an investigation into it and da, da, da. Sandra told me she knew nothing of her family story. Instead, she lived it. Because I used to say when that, you know, I used to say, God, I wished I had plenty of money and that, I'd, you know, I'd get a good solicitor and fight this and find out. Because, I mean, we never got any medical records or anything. What, it was like a big cover-up. Were these words spoken by her grandmother Beatrice after Murph's death? James Flanagan and Reg Wern were taken to the police station where statements were given. The police report favoured Reg's point of view and remained unchallenged at the inquest. Merv's wife Beatrice was left widowed with four kids at a time of no social security, no workers' compensation and no legitimate avenues for employment. I, I have a little cry, so, you know, I think myself how hard it must have been. Mm-hmm. Like with my grandmother having them three little kids and mm. whatever. Although a fundraising social was organised, support for Beatrice and her family's appeal for justice soon dropped off the union agenda. The union had lost its experienced men in the split over conscription, and those who took over were suspected of being self interested and corrupt. Beatrice and her boys moved to Glebe after Merv's death. See, so, and when after he was shot, my grandmother, I don't know whether she remarried or... She remarried, She yeah. remarried to more. More. Yeah. Yeah. And she had three more boys to him. The family was poor, extremely poor. It's no surprise then that Merv's sons turned to crime. Like, as I said, these blokes running around today... Yeah. ..that think they're gangsters and all that and whatever. As I said, they wouldn't have come up with their shoelaces years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, Yeah. There was no guns or knives or anything years ago. Yeah. It was just fists. Sandra's father sold sly grog and things that fell off the back of a truck, as the old saying goes. In other words, stolen goods. Her uncle, who lived next door, ran an illegal gambling operation. The two brothers spent time in Long Bay Jail. The most common charge was assaulting policemen. So I'm guessing they didn't have too much regard for the police in your family, yeah? Mm-hmm. My, my son, Shane, when he was only about eight, eight or nine, he um, he started playing for the Balmain Police Boys Club. Yeah. My father went off his head. Oh, really? Um, coppers, playing for coppers. Oh, yeah. no, they hated the police. Yeah. 
go back one more generation to Merv's parents and it's the same story. Merv also grew up in poverty and Merv also lost his father at a young age. Merv's father was killed in a workplace accident when Merv was 12. An inquest would show it was negligence. Merv's mother went to court. It could have been a landmark case, setting a precedent for workers' compensation. It went all the way to the High Court, but it got thrown out. She was told to be grateful for the out-of-court settlement she'd been offered in the first place, which wasn't enough to raise a family. Merv had petty charges to his name. Drunk and disorderly, riotous behaviour, playing two up, and assaulting a policeman. These charges were pretty common for working class men at the time. But Merv also had the same angry streak as his sons. On one occasion, when Merv was 19, he walked into a fish saloon, ordered oysters, prawns and fish. The manager asked for payment up front. The paper reported this annoyed Flanagan, who aimed a chair at the proprietor and finished up by stabbing him over the left eye with a pen knife. They were bad drunks. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were really bad yeah. drunks. And I mean, they were hard and tough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I still loved my father and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was an arsehole to my mother. As soon as he'd start and whatever, my mother would just pack me up and we'd go up to Globe Street, up to her family's. Mm-hmm. But my father didn't care. I mean, all the brothers were there and he used to come up and put the windows in and all up there. Put the windows, put the windows in. It took me a while to realise what Sandra meant. Her father would actually smash the front windows of the little terrace house. Go up there to get me to get my mother to go home and that. Oh, but I'm right. saying he was he he'd go there one out knowing that her, her brothers and all were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they were fearless. And what did they say? Well, nothing. I think nothing. they were frightened of him. Yeah. yeah. You know, because they were bad. Like yeah. in them days, they were bad. Let's go back to that moment in 1917. When Merv Flanagan and Reg Wern crossed paths. It's John Wern who's offered the best description so far of what happened that fateful night. Might be the coming together of two immovable objects. For Merv, how many years of rage exploded in that moment? And if Merv was anything like his sons, can we really blame Reg? If you were in Reg's shoes, confronted by this angry man, would you pull the trigger? Unfortunately, these questions remain unanswered. The system that was meant to offer control in the shadow of disaster failed. I rise to speak on an issue raised in this parliament 100 years ago. Merv Flanagan was a labour movement martyr, murdered in 1917. He is yet to see justice. A botched inquest, a dropped appeal, documents destroyed. What happened was tragic. What followed was an outrage. That's coming up next time on The Folded Lie.
Ellen Leibeter is executive producer with assistance from Miles Martignoni. Thanks also to Mike Williams and Kirsty Melville. This podcast was created with support from the City of Sydney and 2SCR 107.3. Keep up to date with the latest episodes by subscribing on your favourite podcast app. I'm Frances Morgan. This is The Folded Lie.